Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Beth. Hi, Jenna. How are you? I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for asking. We have Father Will Schmidt here with us today. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good. How are you? Hi, Father. Yeah, my name is uh, Father Will Schmidt, and I'm the pastor of San Francisco de Assis Parish in Flagstaff, Arizona, where it is wonderful right now, temperature-wise, beautiful. I bet you don't miss Phoenix. Uh, I mean, I miss some of Phoenix. I mean, I mix my friends and people that I know and love there, but the weather is certainly better up here in Flagstaff, at least in the summertime. Well, Father, I love that you're here with us today, and I just want to thank you for coming on. I know that you know my husband, Mike, who I talk about often, and so do you mind just kind of sharing how you guys first met? Is that okay? Yeah, I remember I was in the seminary at the time, and I think he was living at a men's house, and uh, we would go and hang out in the backyard of the men's house. We would just hang out and talk about all kinds of things, and and that's how we got to know each other. And we played basketball Tuesday nights at St. Teresa Parish in Phoenix. That's how I got to know your husband. That's awesome. And how long have you been ordained? I've been a priest for 10 years. Time flies. Yeah. Yeah. So I had been in the seminary, I think when I met Mike, about two two or three years when we first started to hang out. And did you discern a call in the famous St. Teresa's Parish Youth Group? I did. I'm one of the St. Teresa's six. In fact, myself, Father John Parks, and Father Robert Bolding were all in freshman English first period together in high school. Wow. wow. Could you imagine Father Parks in class? No. Oh, gosh, no. I can. (laughs) (laughs) Father, I think what's so special to me to witness in your priesthood is you seem to really love the liturgy. There is something so special about the way that you celebrate the Mass, and I think we'd just love to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, so I grew up a Lutheran, and we were kind of good Lutherans. We kind of went to church sometimes, and... You know, my mom and dad prayed with me every night before I went to bed. So I certainly grew up knowing and loving Jesus, but not really making the faith my own. And then when I discovered the Catholic faith, somebody invited me to Mass. That's how it started. I just noticed that there was something special about it. I really enjoyed it. There were some strange things that I had never encountered before, but just slowly developed a real appreciation for the Mass and found the Lord speaking to me during the Mass, and especially adoration of the Blessed Sacrament as well. So I would spend a lot of time in Eucharistic adoration and just felt like the Lord was doing something in my heart when I was there. And I remember the first time I encountered adoration, uh, no one told me what it was. And I walked into the youth room and there was like 75 kids just like kneeling on the floor. And they were about to bring out the monstrance and I had no idea what the teaching was on the Eucharist. But there was a really cute girl in the front row. And I said, I want to sit next to her. So I started like peeling kids away and I just plopped myself right next to her. And the next thing you know, they brought out Jesus and I was front center with Jesus. So I came for the cute girl, but I stayed for Jesus. (laughs) That's the coolest. The Lord. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Before I entered the seminary, I was spending a lot of time in adoration. And I lived in an apartment with Father Matt Lowry, who's also up here in Flagstaff with me. We were roommates. And we were going to adoration every night. 
and just really felt this desire in the Lord for me to learn more about the Mass and about the Eucharist. Because I kept hearing over and over again, this is the source and summit of our faith. And I wanted my statement of that to be a reality in my life. And so I started reading books about the Eucharist and the liturgy. And then one day I was at this Catholic bookstore and I found this thing called the General Instructions of the Roman Missal. And I said, what is that? And the guy who owned the store told me what it was and I bought it. And this was probably a sign that I was called to the priesthood because I devoured it in like two days, read the whole thing in two days, took notes. That's a big tell, I would think. I've never picked that up at no, the bookstore. No, for leisure. I really don't recommend it. It's not the most exciting read in the world. You got to really love the Mass and you got to be drawn to it in a special way to want to go through that. One of the books that really introduced me to the Mass in a different way and really opened my eyes to the Mass was The Lamb Supper by Scott Hahn. Yeah. Probably a lot more introductory <laughs> than the term. I don't know. It opened up Revelation for me. It was just so beautiful and touched my heart. I read it probably over 10 years ago. And there are still so many pieces of it that every single time I'm in mass, I think about it. And I'm like, I need to reread it. Yeah. And I think Catholics forget what's actually happening in the mass. I mean, I think we all know that it's the body and blood of the Lord. Like we know that that happens. I think we believe that intellectually, but we forget that it's kind of an entryway into heaven. As Roman Catholics, sometimes we get caught in this trap of thinking heaven is something that happens at the end of life. Heaven doesn't have anything to do with my life right here and right now. But the Mass really is us offering ourselves in union with Jesus to the Father and our intentions and our life being brought into heaven, being touched by God's grace and given back to us anew. And so heaven is not just this reality that we encounter at the end of life, but it's something that we experience a taste of every time we come to the Mass. And I think we forget that. Like, we don't remember that when we go to Mass. And sometimes it's we're just distracted by life and kids and, you know, all kinds of things. And we just kind of go through the motions and we forget what's really happening and why we're there and that we're there to offer all of those distractions to the Lord. So, Father, would you mind just defining liturgy? What is meant when we say liturgy? I've been reading this Greek Orthodox theologian. He's got a fun name. So if you're planning on having children, this is a great name for them. Alexander Schmemann. What a beautiful name, Schmemann. He's a Greek Orthodox, but he really sees the liturgy as this offering of the Son to the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're invited to unite ourselves to that offering. But that offering culminates in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, right? But it involves his life, his passion, his death, and his resurrection and ascension, of course. But it culminates in the sacrifice on the cross. So I think when we go to liturgy, remembering that, that this is Christ offering himself to the Father so that we can experience his grace and his salvation. And God wants us to be united to that. He wants us to offer our sorrows, our struggles, our joys, our successes, our jobs, our family, our hobbies, our relationships. He wants us to spiritually offer all of that in union with his son. And when we do that, when we spiritually kind of lay ourselves on the altar, all of that is brought up into heaven, touched by God's grace and given back to us anew. And then all of a sudden, our lives are consecrated. You know, our families start to be consecrated. Our jobs start to be consecrated. Our neighbors start to be consecrated. Everything becomes ordered towards him and offered to him. 
And so I would say that's first and foremost what the liturgy is. And that helps us break out of ourselves. Like we look at the liturgy as this reality, this movement between the three persons of the Trinity, and I'm being offered a share in that. And my life is being wrapped up into that. And then it becomes about the glorification of the Lord. Like I want my whole life to glorify God. And then in turn, he sanctifies and edifies my life as he receives myself and gives me myself back, touched by his grace. In a small way, I've sort of adopted this practice during Mass, that during the offertory, a couple of years ago, I started asking the Lord specifically, what do you want me to offer you as the gifts are being brought forward? And I mean, it's very literal. We're like bringing up the gifts. And so it seemed like a good prayer to pray. But it's been really transformative for me. Rather than just kind of saying in general, like, God, I give you myself or I give you my heart, that can be kind of vague and big, but to really listen to the Lord, and it's always so generous what He asks of me. It's always usually different than what I think He wants from me. That's been just a beautiful touch point in the Mass for me. Yeah, and the prayers of the Mass and the Offertory almost presume that you're doing that, right? Because the prayer that the priest prays, which often just kind of flies over most Catholics' heads, is pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. So I know what I'm sacrificing. I have the bread and the wine and I have the Mass intention. But what are you offering? It's your lives. It's yourself. You're, in a sense, spiritually climbing up on that altar with very specific things to bring to Jesus, to unite to Jesus so that the Father can receive them in Christ, like through him, with him, and in him. But most Catholics, the offertory is like halftime, like, you know, my kids need to go to the bathroom or the baskets being passed around. We got some kind of song being performed. Uh, I start to think about where am I going for lunch or dinner? And they miss out on this beautiful opportunity to surrender themselves. Yeah. You know, a book that's really been important in the past maybe year to me has been Insinu Yezu. Jesus uses that language that you're using, that he's offering himself to the Father. I don't know that before this book, I really even understood that language Mm. of that's what was happening in the Mass. You know, it's always deeper. There's always more to learn, even being well-formed and loving the Church and going deeper. There's always more. Yeah. And I think Pope St. John Paul II really tuned our hearts into that language. With theology of the body and this concept of self-giving love, the gift of self, that the opposite of love is use, and love is about giving ourselves away. And we hear that in the gospel, of course, but having a more detailed description of what it means to be Catholic using that language has been really rich and beautiful. And just looking at the Mass through that language It's been really rich in my own life. It's what I try to do. Every time I come to the Mass, I try to lose myself in the Mass, so to speak. I try to offer my whole self, you know, with Jesus so that He just carries me into a deeper contact with His Father. I think it's so beautiful to hear you speak about the liturgy in this way. Mm -hmm. It is such a great witness to me as a parishioner or as a lay person who comes to Mass and sees a priest who loves the liturgy. But that's not the case a lot of the time. Sadly, and I think that's just practical. That's just reality of the situation. We're all human and we all approach the liturgy differently. And so often I go to a lot of different parishes sometimes, and I know so many of the women listening go to parishes where maybe the priest is not that 
reverent sure. towards a liturgy or doesn't kind of have that same posture towards it. I'm sure people have come to you and said, you know, Father, I'm really struggling with really entering into mass because I'm distracted, maybe not just by my kids, but by the priest or, you know, sometimes there is irreverence toward the liturgy. And I don't know, I'm just really curious kind of your thoughts and wisdom on that. Sure. And that's a great question. And and I have been asked that a number of times. And I think there's a couple things that a family can do. I think first and foremost, taking time before mass with your family to talk about what do we need to offer to Jesus today? And then honing in on the fact that, hey, we're not here necessarily, first and foremost, to receive something, but we're here to offer ourselves. And yeah, there are going to be a lot of distractions, but we can offer ourselves through those distractions. And we can offer those distractions to the Lord, but let's take some time before Mass to think about and maybe even discuss as a family, what do we need to surrender to Jesus? What are some good things that have happened that we need to thank Him for and consecrate those things to Him? What are some struggles that we have or people in our lives that need to be laid on that altar? I think of it like the four guys who brought the paralytic man on a mat to Jesus. They didn't know how to get him to the Lord, so they climbed up on the roof, cut a hole, and dropped him down. And we can do that spiritually for people who don't know how to get to Jesus. We can spiritually like drop them through the roof of the church onto the altar to Christ. So I think that's one thing that a family can do. I think another thing a family can do is after Mass, they can take a few moments together and talk about what's something that happened in the Mass that really spoke to your heart. What's like a lingering desire from the Mass itself? And not to talk about the homily, because we don't want to reduce the Mass to the homily or to one of the readings. Right? There's so many prayers and there's movements in the Mass and things that happen that are really rich. And to just say to your kids, what's a lingering desire you have in your heart from the Mass? And what happened in the Mass that kind of caused that desire to well up in your heart? And to reflect on that. And then what happens is the kids know they're going to be asked about that. So they really open their hearts during the mass, you know, and then it causes them to kind of fight through the distractions. And then it hears their parents talk about a deep love they have for the mass. And especially when dad can share something that moved him about mass, that communicates a message to the children that our dad loves the mass and he loves Jesus who he encounters in the mass. And I want to encounter Jesus like that in the Mass, and so I want to open my heart to the Lord in the Mass. So yeah, there are going to be distracting things that priests do. Um, there are going to be priests who like to draw attention to themselves, unfortunately, when the attention should always be on the Lord. But if you pray before and during and after the Mass, and you really see it as an offering of myself and my family to the Lord, there's a lot of fruit that can be produced in someone's life, even if they're really distracted at Mass, and even if they know that Mass is being celebrated, in a sense, not in the manner that the church envisions, they can still gain the fruits of that Mass in, in their life and in their family's life. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that's so helpful to have those practical tips of preparing for and yeah. then processing after. But I wonder if there's anything else you can offer by way of practical mm -hmm. tips, like how can we love Jesus more in the Eucharist? Yeah. Knowledge and love are intimately connected. Jenna, when you fell in love with Mike, you guys would go on dates. You wanted to get to know each other, right? Like, and the more you knew each other, the more your love for each other grew. And the same is true with Jesus. Knowledge and love for Jesus are intimately united. And some people think that I can love Jesus and I don't ever need to get to know him. But the truth is, I do need to get to know him and I need to spend more time learning about him. And so I would encourage Catholics to read books like the Lamb's Supper, or Dr. Brant Petrie's Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, or 
you know, even picking up a Magnificat where it has reflections that you can pray with that draw you deeper to a knowledge of Jesus in the Mass. Taking time every week to read about the Mass and learn more about the Mass, that increases your love for Jesus in the Mass. I love the Lord more now than I did 10 years ago, but I don't always feel that rush of energy every time I go celebrate the Mass, you know, like I did maybe when I was a brand newly ordained priest, but that love is a deeper love. And I know that I make mistakes, and part of the love is returning the Lord when I haven't loved Him, and when I've chosen something other than Him, and asking for His mercy and forgiveness repeatedly, over and over and over again, and using my creativity. Like, people will come to me and they're like, Father, I don't know how to get out of this sin, and I'll say, well, be creative. What's something you can do differently? Come up with a game plan of walking away from a situation and going to do something totally crazy. Because they'll say to me, like, oh, Father, I've tried everything, I've tried everything. And what's funny is a priest once said that to John Vianney, and St. John Vianney responded by saying, well, have you tried giving up your bed and sleeping on the floor? And the person's like, no. And he's like, well, have you tried just eating potatoes? And they're like, no. And he's like, well, then you haven't really tried everything, have you? <laughs> like, and I'm not saying that people should just eat potatoes or give up their bed, but I think sometimes we feel like we've tried everything. We're all creative people. The Lord can tap into that creativity if we surrender that to him, and we can come up with some amazing ways of choosing him. Just keep trying to find new ways to encounter the Lord and hear his voice and learn about him and your love will grow and it'll deepen and it'll be a different kind of love than when you first came to love Jesus. There are people who love God who just never grow in intimate knowledge or relationship with him. And I've been thinking over my own testimony and experience of faith that I remember as maybe in middle school being at mass and I did love God. But he was sort of this distant, benevolent figure. As my faith has grown, even from having a real solid foundation of faith and love for the Lord, it has evolved through knowledge. There have been little conversions of heart all along the way. It's interesting to hear you use that same language of people loving and believing and yet not going deeper in conversion or knowledge. Yeah, and I think sometimes people don't know that they can go deeper. As a whole, Catholics are not the best at evangelizing. We're not the best at sitting down with somebody and saying, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you about my relationship with him. Let me tell you about how he speaks to me, how I encounter him, so that people can get a glimpse of like, I can have a relationship with Jesus like that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Jesus can speak to me, and I didn't know how to open my heart to hear him. You know, I came to the Catholic faith because one man came to me after a friend of mine had died in a car accident, and he said, hey, I know you're going through a tough time, and I have found that going to Mass on Sunday in this youth group called Life Teen, that God speaks to me and has an encounter with me, and, and I have an encounter with Him, and it's really helped me in my life. And I don't know if it'll help you, but I just want to invite you to come with me. That was the best thing I could have ever heard, like just an invitation. And not just like, hey, come to Mass sometime, I'll see you there. No, like, come sit with me, come with me. I'll meet you at the doors of the church, like, I'll bring you in, you sit with me, I'll show you what to do. I want to share this experience that I'm having with you. I want you to share in my experience of the Lord. I told him a number of times, you're the reason why I came into the church. He had no idea he was inviting the next priest to come to Mass. That's evangelization. That's witnessing. Wow. Just in that invitation, if I can kind of dissect <laughs> that invitation that you received, it wasn't only, hey, come, I'll sit with you, I'll meet you. It was also, here's what it means to me. Yeah. 
I kind of want to dive into the division in the church right now in terms of liturgical preferences is probably on the lighter side, but getting deeper into Latin mass goers, people who love charismatic prayer. And we have talked a lot about like, we don't like names and we're all just Catholic and this is a Catholic faith. But again, it's just the reality. And I kind of think it would be cool to just be able to maybe hear your heart if that bothers you, if parishioners have ever said, you know, I don't like this liturgy or anything like that. I don't know. Have you experienced that at all? My entire priesthood, sad to say, the majority of persecution I've experienced has been because of the way I celebrate the liturgy, the way I celebrate the Mass. It's hard to summarize in just a few moments, but I think something truly revolutionary happened in 1970 with the new Mass. Along with the Second Vatican Council's document, Sacrosanctum Concilium, and I think a lot of people didn't actually read that document and didn't actually take a detailed look at the new Mass when it came out. And I think a lot of people just assumed, or maybe they were taught, hey, we're allowed to do these things now. And people were not given a real catechesis about the new Mass. It was just dropped in their lap in most places. And my last parish, once a month, we started doing a Sunday night Latin Mass, but not the old Mass, the new Mass in Latin. And we had an organ, and we played the organ for that Mass. And this lady came, and she was in the back, and she was just teary-eyed and crying throughout the whole Mass. And afterwards, when we talked to her, she said, I was the organist in 1970. And one day the pastor came up and I was practicing for mass. And he came to me and he said, hey, we changed everything. Your services are no longer needed. Like, see you later. And she was like stunned. And she walked down the organ loft and was passed up by a bunch of people with guitars. And she was like, what happened? And I'm not saying one way or the other. Like, I don't want to make a judgment on any of those things. Her whole life was turned upside down and inside out in one moment. And that unfortunately happened in a lot of places. There were a lot of liberties taken. And I've gotten to know some really amazing families who prefer the traditional Latin mass. And I think the reason why they prefer it in many ways is they find a deep sense of transcendence in that and a deep love for Jesus in it. And we can't look at that and deny that and say that's bad or wrong and something happened in their encounter with the new Mass, and maybe they didn't understand it for what it is, or maybe they do, and they just prefer the traditional Latin Mass, and they prefer the deep symbolism in it. But they had some kind of an encounter that scarred them, and they have this deep love for the Lord in the traditional Latin Mass. And we had that Mass for 500 years, and there were a lot of good that came out of it. Now, obviously, it was in need of reform, and anybody who's honest, who knows the Tridentine Mass, would say, yeah, there was need for reform here. We've got to be able to continue to support and nourish those people. But at the same time, I don't celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. I love the Novus Ordo Mass. I have felt like for the 10 years of my priesthood, I have never been able to celebrate it in its full glory. Because every time I try to do something that's beautiful, people like get mad at me and they'll yell at me or they'll send angry emails to me loaded with presuppositions and false conceptions and an unwillingness to sit down and say, hey, why did you do that? I love to chant. I love to chant the Mass. And I just love the Lord and want to sing to Him. And there's so much beauty in the Novus Ordo. I want to utilize some of those gifts and those signs and symbols. And not because I have an agenda, but because I just love Jesus and the Eucharist. And the greatest gift that's ever been given to me is the gift to celebrate the Mass. And I know that every time I go to the altar, 
And that's all I want to do is just take that gift and give it back to the Lord in the most beautiful way possible. And that's my only agenda. But unfortunately, Catholics are so driven by political lines, even within the church, conservative, liberal, traditionalist, progressive. And here's what I found about Catholics. like Catholics all think they know a lot about the liturgy, and it's actually the one area they know the least about. We all think, because we go to Mass on Sundays, like, oh, I know everything there is to know about the liturgy, and we're all liturgists. And what I found in the extensive reading and studying of the liturgy is that, gosh, we know very little about the liturgy itself. And the more I know, the more my heart burns in love for this great gift of the Eucharist. And if we could set aside our preconceived ideas and just fall in love with Jesus in the Eucharist and study and learn about the beauty of our rite, I think those differences would fade away. And I think there'd be real conversions and there'd be deeper unity. But we have to be able to talk and we can't converse if we're just constantly labeling each other based on perception. Wow. Thanks, Father. Father, I just want to thank you for your love of Jesus and the Eucharist. You know, when Jenna and I are able to come to a mass that you celebrate, there's something deep in my soul that I can just rest. Mm. I know that I can truly worship. Well, the Lord wants us to pray the mass. He doesn't just want us to check off a bunch of boxes and like, oh, I stood at the right time and knelt at the right time. I said the words at the right time. He wants all of us and he wants that deep interior surrender to accompany those physical signs and things that we say. That's what I try to do. And I just try to offer my whole self in the mess. And, you know, and I deal with distractions all the time, believe me. But I can only draw you to that if I do it myself. That tells me that I'm like doing my job, that you experience peace. And when you come to mass and that you're able to pray and rest in the Lord, that to me is like the greatest compliment as a priest that I can receive, you know, so much better than, wow, your homily was awesome. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you got something from my words, but did you pray the mass? Like, did you surrender yourself to Jesus? Because I would give up preaching every Sunday if I could hear my people say that. That's how important that is to me. Well, your preaching certainly aids in that. I heard about a recent homily that you gave about <laughs> taking up the posture of Mary at the feet of Jesus after receiving the Eucharist. I wonder if you could just say a little bit about that. Yeah. Martha is welcoming Jesus into her home, but she forgot the real reason for his visit. She's thinking about hospitality. She's like, okay, I got to make sure my chicken pot pie is perfect. You know, I got to make sure that the tea and coffee comes out at the right time. And, you know, I have to make sure that everything's timed and everybody's having what they need. And she gets so lost in that she forgot why Jesus came to her house in the first place. He didn't come to her house because she had the best chicken pot pie or the best tiramisu in all of Bethany. He came to her house because she and her brother Lazarus and her sister Mary had an open heart. And because they had a home large enough to be able to host a lot of families, Jesus wanted to spend quality time teaching his people. That's why he came to her home. And for a moment, she forgets that, and Mary doesn't. So Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And what happens is when we're distracted by things other than the Lord, if we fail to be attentive to the Lord and what he wants, those distractions overwhelm us. You know, and then what happens is we look and we see Mary at the feet of Jesus and we get jealous. We're like, oh my gosh, I want to be at the feet of Jesus. Why is she? She's my sister. She's supposed to be helping me. And all of a sudden she's jealous, resentful. She's mad at her sister for actually doing the right thing. And then when she goes to the Lord, she just assumes 
that the Lord wants what she wants. Tell her to come help me. And the Lord's like, no, Martha, that's not what I desire. I desire Mary to be at my feet. And actually what Martha discovers is that that was Jesus's desire for Martha. But here's the thing, like we don't want to get too hard on Martha because she's a saint, number one. And also because Martha does the right thing. She brings it to the Lord. She's created this onion, right? All these layers. And now she brings it to Jesus and Jesus doesn't get mad at her over the layers. He just starts to peel back layer by layer what she needs to surrender to him. So Martha is actually a model of surrender after having ignored the voice of the Lord. I come to the Lord now and I've got this complex mess that I've created. And Jesus isn't mad at the mess, but he's going to peel back the mess one layer at a time. And so we can't look at Martha and be mad. We look at Martha and we say, wow, that's where I am in life. I've been away from the church or there's stuff that I haven't surrendered to Jesus. I've been carrying this weight on my heart and I'm afraid to surrender to him because it's so complex. And the Lord's like, I can handle your mess. Give me your mess. But be prepared to let me peel it back layer by layer. There's a moment in the Mass where all of us are called to be Mary at the feet of Jesus, and that's after receiving communion. Martha had Jesus under her roof. We have Jesus in our bodies. And we literally prayed that before receiving communion, like, Lord, I am not worthy to have you enter under my roof. So the Lord is in us, and we are at his feet. And that should be one of the most recollected moments of our lives, where we can just turn to Jesus and surrender even more, or direct the grace of Holy Communion to a place in our hearts that's broken, that's in need of healing or peace, or something that's going on in my life, maybe a disordered desire I have for something, and I need Jesus to like help me with that and direct the grace of Holy Communion to that place and be at the feet of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, would you mind closing us in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, and we thank you especially for the gift of your Son, Jesus, uh, who is really the love of our lives, shows us how to be who we were made to be. And Lord, we just ask that we might have a, a more deeper encounter of him through the gift of your Holy Spirit in the liturgy, that we might never forget that who it is we're encountering in the Mass, and and what the Lord desires of us. And um, Lord, just help us to surrender our whole lives to you, especially in the Mass. Help us to hold nothing back from you, but to just give you access to every aspect of our life so that you might be the true Lord and King of, of our lives and everything about our lives. And Lord, help us to consecrate the world uh, by surrendering it to you in the Mass. And please continue to protect us and to never let us be discouraged by division, to never let us be discouraged by the attacks of the evil one, but to know that in the end, uh, you are you win the war, and and, the, and you're the winner not just at the end of time, but you're the winner every time uh, we encounter your power in the Eucharist. And so, just increase our love for you and our trust in you, and help us to be agents of your love and mercy and peace. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Yeah. Thank you, Father. Thanks, Father. We really appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. Say hi to Mike for me. I will. <laughs> I will, for sure. And, uh, you know, come up and visit beautiful Flagstaff sometime. We will. All right. God bless. Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.